someone asked me why we could sing. I think as believers, we could sing in the midst of this chaos. It's simply because what we just sang just now. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. Like our God has saved us from the worst of consequence, given us salvation to, for eternity. Nothing can shake us here in this world anymore. And I think because of that simple reality, we can continue to sing. We continue to uh, preach through our, our our sermon series called Sing, really learning about what does it mean for us to sing. And today we're going to talk about singing as the church, as the local body of Christ. So if you have your Bible with you or you can go to your app or go to the tab up on the screen if you're following with us, uh, watching the uh, online, you can please go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. Colossians in the New Testament, um, you can flip through a couple couple books into there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. Here's what the Apostle Paul spoke and wrote to the audience in Colossae, the Christians in Colossae. He says this, verse 12, Put on then as God chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We want to preach. We want to listen. We want to pay attention to your word and sing. All do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And we want to give you thanks today that we can still gather, whether we, even though we cannot gather physically, but we can gather digitally on the, online and virtually, that we can give you praise, give you thanks. So, Lord, we want to praise you this morning. Help us to listen to your word. Thank you for your word that is eternal, that is true. Lord, I pray for our hearts today. Prepare the soil of our hearts so that whatever that we hear today, we will not just listen to it, but we will do it. That we'll obey it and we'll bring you glory in the way we live. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to talk about singing in the local church. And uh, as I was preparing the sermon to, uh, for this week, two scenes came to mind. Two vivid picture, uh, two vivid memory came to mind. Uh, and one of them melt my heart every time I thought about it. And another one breaks my heart. I remember for a long time that I was attending my wife's church, her home church. And I always wondered, why did they do communion extra on an extra service after the regular worship service? In that service, there will be no preaching. There will be no teaching. It will be just brothers and sisters, young and old, uh, the, from the youngest Christian to the oldest seniors in the, in, the, in, the, in the church. They will just sit around, and they will all be given this hymn book, and no one will say it a word. And occasionally, someone will yell out a number, number 15, something ho, 
or they will say in Mandarin. And then someone will write on the board and, and chalk on in chalk number fifteen, and everyone will just you hear the whisk, the whipping of the paper and go to hymn number fifteen. And there will be no fancy instrument. It will be just someone playing a piano simply. And at times there would not be even any instrument at all. And the saints of that congregation will just sing. For a while, I felt like it was a waste of time. Why did I have to stay longer to go to this worship service to take communion? But it wasn't until I, I grow in my faith and mature to realize how sweet was that fellowship in singing together. And it was not about one person. It was not about uh, a person who keeps choosing their favorite song. It was just a, a genuine worship among the saints. Singing, remembering the death and the resur- resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I still remember just someone singing and, and another person would join in. It would be angelic, not because the music was so good. But there is a sweetness of voice together. And every time I think of it, I, I think of that's how genuine worship ought to be. Nothing against music, but it ought to be about the voices of the saints worshiping our Lord. But then I also think of another, another, another memory that I have. One time I was a, in a, a different church. I know some of the guys there in seminary, they're seminary student, uh, seminarians, and we're in a worship service. And during this whole singing time, these guys were not really uh, pay attention to singing. They were just kind of checking their phone. They're kind of doing their thing. And I was wondering why that is, why they're not engaged. Where they, maybe they just checked out. They don't want to worship God. But the moment when the, the, the pulpit was set, the, the preacher was up, all of a sudden their eyes and ears, they all bust out their ESV Bible, their Moleskine Journal. They're taking notes of every single word that the preacher was preaching on. And that really broke my heart. I wonder how could these guys or these brothers who love the word of God so much and yet I want to grab them and tell them how much they missed the singing of the saints. That singing time was not just a setup for the preaching time. How they missed completely the union that we can have as brothers and sisters singing to our Lord. You see, today we're going to talk about singing as a local church, singing with the local church. I assume many of you who are watching this are part of this church. If you're not, you're part of another church. I hope you're a part of a church, and, and God had told us that we commanded us to sing. And so what we're going to look at today is this. We're going to look at what did he really command us to do? What did he really command the church to do as far as singing is concerned? Then we're going to take a look at why, why that matters. Why do we as the local body of believers need to sing together? Isn't it enough that we go on YouTube, on Spotify, and it's just sing on our own? And then finally, I want to give us a, a few uh, steps of how we can sing better as a congregation together. Here's the command from the Lord in, in Colossians chapter 3 through the, uh, the Apostle Paul. Very clearly, verse 16, it says this. We are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In the parallel passage we looked at last week in Ephesians chapter 5, we saw that we're called to address one another in psalms, spiritual songs, and hymns. Isn't it interesting that there are only really two direct commands from God to God's people to the church about singing. And both of which has to do with singing together collectively as the church. You see, the command here does not say 
You need to go play some instrument. Although instrument would be great, just like a worship team helping us to lead us in the time of singing. That's great. But it was never commanded that you and I should must play musical instrument to worship God. Nor does the command say you need to sing on your own to worship God. Although, again, that might be a great thing. That should be something we should do. But the command has always been given in the context of a community, a faith community of the church. Both in Colossians, both in Ephesians, and both in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As, as Paul was speaking about singing, bringing a song. It was in the context of the body of Christ. You see, here's, a, here's many of us get it wrong with this command to sing. Yes, the command is to sing, but the focus was not on the stage. See, many times we are not focusing on the congregation. So what God commands us to do is what what we will label today as congregational singing. But many times, unfortunately, we practice concert singing. You know what's the difference between concert singing and congregational singing? Concert singing, singing is about the people on stage. Congregational singing is about the people who are sitting all around and filling up the room. Concert singing is about admiring those who are up on stage and admiring the gifts and the talents that they have. But congregational singing is adorning, adoring the audience of one, our God, as we sing to him. You see, concert singing is about how beautiful the sound is up here on stage. But congregational singing is about the unity of sound out there together. See, God never called us to perform, but God called us as the church to sing together. The command is not to perform. The command is to sing together as one body in Christ. And then the question we must ask is this, why should we sing together? Why must we sing together? Aside from the very simple fact that we're commanded to sing together. You see, I want us to see from this passage that the reason why we must sing together is because that is the very identity of who we are as the church. When we sing together, when we sing to one another, we are being church to one another. We say it often in this church that church is more than just a building. Yes, we have an address here at church. We have a building here at church. But church is so much more than the physical four walls of this building. The church is the people of God. I was blessed in my spiritual upbringing that, uh, that was con- I was connected with the Navigators, a parachurch organization uh, that ministered to both military, collegiates, and overseas, and many, many ministries. I was uh, raised up in that, uh, in that organization, and one of the really neat things from that organization that most people remember that marked my life was this illustration called the wheel illustration. The wheel illustration tells us there's a vertical component of our spiritual walk that we must pray to God, we must be connected with God and, and be rooted in His Word, but not only vertically, but also horizontally, that we are to relate to the people in this world. And there are the, these horizontal spokes, and one of which is the, the spoke of fellowship, meaning our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, meaning with the church. And then we have another spoke that talks about witnessing our relationship with those who are yet in, in faith and a relationship with Christ. What you will see today and next week is that both of, we, both of these components have something to do with our singing. Today we're going to focus on the fellowship. That I don't know what you think of when you think of fellowship. When I think of fellowship, growing up, I think of bad fruit punch. I think of potluck. I think of food. I think of eating. I think of gathering together, having fun with my friends. And for many of us, when we think of fellowship, it might be a building, maybe just a gathering of people. But the Word of God is something so much more. 
The fellowship is not just something we do and gather together, but there is a purpose for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this. In relationship with music, it says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Focus on this. Let all things be done for building up. You see, that's who we are as a church. The church exists partly is for the lost, to reach the lost, to bring the gospel to the lost, but also it was for building up one another. If you fast track to First Peter, the whole book gives us a picture of what uh, uh, the, the, of the church being a building, stacking up building rock by rock, stone by stone, between Jesus being the living stone, and we are meant to build up one another. Now let's go back to uh, uh, Colossians chapter three. I want you to follow the flow of thoughts that the Apostle Paul had here. Colossians chapter three. He tells us the reason why we must, uh, how we we can be church for one another. Verse twelve says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I don't know if you ever thought about why these characters. Why patience? Why meekness? Why humility? Why kindness? Why love? Is it just some arbitrary list of things that are good? Or is there something more to this list? What I want to suggest to you and want to point out to you is this. This list actually represents not just good virtues, but this list actually represents Christ himself. That in Christ we see these lift out in full. That Christ is perfect, perfectly humble, perfectly meek, perfectly patient. He bears with us when we sin against Him. He forgives us. In fact, the verse says that God, the Lord has forgiven us. And of all people, God Himself sent His Son to show the greatest love of all by dying on the cross for us. And so when Paul said, put on these virtues, put on these characters to believers, what he's saying is, in a sense is this, that you need to put on Christ. Well, you need to put Christ on you. Why? And the reason why we need to put Christ on us is not because we can show people how great we are, but because we need to show Christ and present Christ to others, uh, particularly those who are in the church, particularly those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll read those verses again. I want you to focus on these together words. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. Here is the picture of the church, chosen one, the brothers and sisters, holy, beloved by God, we put on all these things, verse 13, bear with one another. Even when we have complained against one another, he says this, forgive one another. As the Lord has forgiven us, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then we go to verse 15, says this, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which Indeed, you were called in one body and be thankful. It is so interesting to me that Paul, after telling us to put on Christ, he then directs us the reason why we must put on Christ is for one another. Because isn't it interesting in verse 15 that the way to get peace of Christ to rule in our hearts is not by praying ourselves into getting peace. It is not to get in a room in a closet and just pray, God, give me peace, give me peace, give me peace. 
It says that the way to get the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts is connected to us being the body of Christ. You see, this is the reason why we must put on Christ. Because we need to present Christ to one another. Man, there's no better timing to talk about this verse than today. And the whole world is falling apart and trying to find peace. See, you and I are not all that different sometimes, isn't it? We sometimes don't have the peace of Christ ruling inside of us because we have other things that's ruling our hearts. Perhaps our uncertainty of life. Maybe a loss of, uh, of a family, loved ones. Maybe too much free time. Maybe loss of a job. Maybe the uncertainty where I will graduate, where I will go for college. Maybe what will I do? Ha- what would happen to my rest of the school year? Who am I going to get married? Am I going to get married? There are all sorts of things that rule our hearts. And we cannot convince ourselves otherwise. And God said through Paul, therefore we need one another to put on Christ. So that we can be Christ to one another. So that we can present Christ to one another. So that we can say, present the truth of Christ to one another. What Christ has done for us. Who we are in Christ. Then no longer do I need to strive to find identity because Christ has given us identity on the cross. That I'm settled because my relationship with God the Father is settled. That I don't need to be chasing after a status that someone needs to give to me by money or by by letters behind my name. You see, we need the peace of Christ rule in the hearts. And the only way to do that is God using his people to bring peace into our hearts, to bring truth into our hearts, to bring Christ into our hearts. But let me ask you a question here. Who is supposed to bring that peace into our lives? Who is supposed to bring the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts? Your answer ought to be everyone. Everyone. Everyone in this church ought to be bringing that peace into our lives. Enough of just professionals, paid professionals, Christians, who are up here on the stage bringing peace to one to you. Enough of just 20% of the church doing 80% of the work. The passage here is clear. The church is meant to bring the peace of Christ to one another that will rule our hearts. It is your job, my job, our job as brothers and sisters in the church to bring peace of God in, into our hearts. You see, when we come as a church, this ties in deeply into why we need to sing because it is your responsibility to be a giver, not a getter. That you don't come to church to just consume, but contribute. That you just don't come with your open hands like, what can you give me? I'm sitting here, give it to me, give it to me, give what I need, give what I want. But you come caring, bringing things so that you can give it away. You see, that is the New Testament model of what a church ought to be. That is deep into our identity as the people of God. That you and I, everyone, everyone, everyone are to be contributors in the church. Everyone are to put on Christ. Everyone are to bring the peace of Christ to one another. Because we are all too forgetful in and of ourselves. And too blind to see the need for Jesus even as his children. And therefore God sent his church, brought his church to one another, to minister to one another. And now watch this. Verse 16, as, as Paul said, put on Christ, because when you put on Christ, you can bring the peace of Christ to one another. How exactly do we do that? Verse 16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Paul said there are two ways for us to bring the peace of Christ and rule our hearts to one another. The two ways are simple. It says this is to teach and to admonish. To teach someone and to admonish someone. It makes so much sense, logical sense. If you want a piece of Christ, then you must have the word of Christ. We must teach the word of Christ to one another. We must, we must teach who Christ is to one another. We must teach our identity in Christ to one another. Teaching and admonishing are two sides of the same coin. Teaching means we're going to teach them the truth. Teach them who Christ is, what Christ has done. And admonishing us on the other side, warning us, what takes us away from Christ. And Paul said, as the church, as the body of believers, we are called to teach that word to one another. We are called to admonish that word to one another. So when you see someone's drifting away from Christ, if someone is chasing after the, the things of the world, you as a brother in Christ ought to admonish them. Ought to teach them again what the truth of God is about, what the truth of Christ is, what Christ has done for them. But here is where things go really, really strange. Because as a good evangelical conservative church, we will look at this verse and say, yes, amen, teach the word of God. When we teach the word of God, admonish one another with the word of God, the word of God will dwell in us richly. We are fulfilling what Paul has told us here in verse 16. But I want you to notice this is not, this is where Paul took a sharp left turn and go to a place where you and I are unexpected. Because if you stop and write that, that portion of verse 16, you would think coming to worship and listening and preaching would be the way to fulfill, or a Bible study would be the way. But here's what Paul said. In ESV, he says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think what happened here in ESV, because it's a word-for-word translation, kind of hide a little bit of the emphasis of the word. Because what I want to do is I want to read to you from two other versions, who is more a thought-to-thought translation, a little bit more paraphrase translation that will help us to get the, the, the emphasis of the, word, uh, of the verse here. Because if you go to NIV in verse 16, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And here's what it says, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God. And in the New King James Version, it says this, in psalms and hymns and spirituals. So in ESV, it doesn't have that. You almost, if you just read ESV, you almost get a sense that the way to get the word of Christ dwell in us richly is by teaching, admonishing, and singing. Then we must do all three. But in the actual original language, the sense of that word singing is not additional to, but it is the means to. Let me put it another way, it is the, the, the method by which we teach, the method by which we admonish. So when Paul was saying, you ought to, as a church, teach one another, everyone teach and admonish one another, the way to do that is through singing. It's through singing hymns, through singing songs, through congregational singing. That is what Paul's getting at. Congregational singing is the methodology by which not the only, but one of the ways that we are called to teach the Word of God, to admonish the Word of God, to bring peace of Christ to one another. Singing is not just a, a, a 15 minutes to hype us up so that we will be ready to hear the preacher preach the Word of God. 
Singing is not just just a a a a a, a hype for us to 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 get emotional, and so that when the word of God is preached, then we can receive it better. Singing is the teaching and admonishing of the word of God. You see, I'm not what I'm. What Paul's saying here is not that singing supersedes, undermine, or take over, replaces teaching of the word of God. Because we know in Scripture, Paul himself said in Second Timothy three sixteen. That all scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. He commanded the, the, uh, the, the brothers in Acts, in verse 20, uh, the Ephesians, that, that we are to preach the whole counsel of God. We know that Paul is not saying singing is better than teaching or, or singing is more important than teaching. But what he's saying is that singing complements teaching, preaching of the word of God. That singing accents the word, the teaching and preaching of the word of God. That singing, congregational singing, accompanies the teaching and preaching of the word of God. Um, I'm just not a very artsy person, and I remember when we first got our house, uh, we, the, the the painter come to us and ask us, uh, "What color do you want on your wall?" And being not a very artsy person, I just said, "Well, white." Or off-white. I said, what's there to decide? And then the, 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 the painter started telling me, no, no, no. Like, do you want, like, accent color? What accent color do you want? And you I, I have no idea what he's speaking. It's almost like a completely different language to me. That you need an accent wall. I said, what are you accenting about? Like, he doesn't speak. But what I didn't know is that you can put color on one side. You have a different shade of color to make it pop, make it look better. And so then when the person explained to us, oh, that's why we need accent color. I think the singing, the congregational singing, the teaching and preaching of the word of God is the exact same way. That singing doesn't supersede, undermines, but it accents the word of God. That it works hand in hand with the teaching and preaching of the word of God. So that the word of God that goes into our head will sink deeply into our hearts, into our emotions. We have an awesome time this past Thursday at a home group meeting on Zoom. And, and I kind of went around and asked everybody how music affect them. How singing worship affect them. And almost every single person said when we sing, when they sing, it just touches them to the deepest part of their soul and their hearts. And I think that's why God has called us. Not only do we need to hear the preaching and teaching of the word of God to get in the word of God ourselves, but also to hear. Particularly two ways I want to highlight to us why singing is so important. Here's the first way. Singing just helps us to remember. There is a reason why my kids learn ABC by singing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's what helps them. There's the same reason why we sing the national anthem as I've shared a couple weeks ago. That it gets to us in a way that's beyond just reading. And I have this really neat experience this past week. A uh, little commercial for, for Keith and Kristen Geddes. They are hosting this Facebook Live Family Hymn Sing every Tuesday at 5.30 Pacific Time. And so my family decided that we'll join. But just to let you know, like as much as my wife and I like to play music, we're not the singing family. We don't just gather around a piano and start singing. So when we told our kids that we're going to do this hymn sing, some of them, particularly one of my sons, decided that that sounds so lame. So he just kind of sprawled out on the couch. He's just not participating. We're trying to get him, but he just won't, won't budge. And, and, and so I thought it was a lost cause that he, was, he would not sing with us. But what was so amazing is that the next, morning, next, afternoon, next day to, in the afternoon, uh, we decided to go get McDonald's while McDonald's still open. We're going to get takeout. 
And on the ride there, he just starts singing. He just started singing the song that we, he refused to sing, refused to participate the day before. And it wasn't a song that we knew. I didn't even know the song until the night before. But my son just starts singing and singing the simple lyrics of do not be afraid. And the whole ride, he just keeps singing. And I just remember talking to him. I said, hey, buddy, you know, that's why we sing. Because God reminds us that maybe there is something in your heart that you're afraid of. God said, do not be afraid. This is the reason also why I think maybe many of us don't, can't remember Bible verses. But we remember the lyrics of the song. And it helps and accents the word of God to hide those truths in our hearts. So songs help us to remember. But here's the second way. Song helps us to prepare us for battle. Singing prepares for spiritual battle. It is not a coincidence. That when Saul, King Saul struggled and having this harmful spirit in him, you know what was the antidote to that harmful spirit? His advisors were telling him, go find someone who can play music, play the music, the beautiful worship song, the lyre, and then you will be free from the harmful spirit. It is not a coincidence in, in Jericho, the wall of Jericho, the people of God surrounding was told by God, instructed by God to walk around six times. In the final days, they were, the, the seventh day, they were supposed to bring the trumpet and the, the singers were supposed to bring the instrumentalists were to lead the group and to blow the trumpet and the wall crumble down. It is also not a coincidence when King Jehoshaphat being surrounded, ambushed by the Moabites and Ammonites, and he was struggling. He was praying to God. He says, God is too big for us. I don't know what to do. And you know what God told him to do? God said, do nothing because I'm going to fight for you. And the only thing I want you to do is this. Get your best, get your singers up in the front of the, and, and, and get your front, get the people around them and go sing. Listen to what it says in verse 18, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed, he led, bowing his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Koalites and the Korahites, Stood up, praise the Lord. The God of Israel with a very loud voice. If you don't know who the Levites are, the Kohathites are, the Korahites are, go to First Corinthians, uh, First Chronicles chapter 6. These were the worship band, were the worship team, the worship leader. And they were to lead the people of God to sing. And as a result that they sing, it prepares their heart for battle and God won the battle for them. Let's be honest here. Let's be real for a second here because I think some of us here today are fighting some battles. Some of us are, are, fighting, are battling against harmful spirit in our, in our heart and whispering to us that you're useless. And I think some of us might be hearing these voices and say, yeah, yeah I'm kind of useless. No one cares about me. You are that close to falling into depression. You're that close to falling into suicidal, uh, committing suicide. And you are having this harmful spirit in it. And you need brothers and sisters to sing over you. You need brothers and sisters to sing, sing song over you that, that you're no longer a slave to fear. That you are a child of God. That you need to hear that the brothers and sisters sing to you that we have a good, good father. That's who he is. And you are loved by him, and that's who you are. I think there are some of us who's battling against some pretty impossible things. 
Perhaps you have heard a terrible diagnosis uh, 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 for you, for a family member, for, or perhaps you have recently lost a family member. You're battling, you're, you're, you just got your rejection letters from college. You just lost your job. You're facing these impossible walls like the wall of Jericho. And you needed to hear what we just sang earlier. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they will fall. But you have never failed me yet. You need that to someone, you need that the church to sing over you so that you can fight that battle against the wall of Jericho. Maybe some of us here today, we're battling against enemies that you feel like is too strong, is too big, they're too powerful. You're struggling with addiction that you can't fight, secret sins, temptations that you can't put off. You are fighting with the rebellious kids at home. Impossible, impossible situations. You need it to hear your the church of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, the brothers and sisters to sing to you. There is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain, break every chain, break. You need it to hear, you need to sing over you. You see, this is why, church, we must sing, we have to sing. We must first sing to the Lord, but we also need to sing for one another. We need to sing to one another. We need to sing over one another. We must sing, sing, sing. Because there isn't a day that we're not fighting a battle that we can fight on our own. The scripture tells us the battle we fought are against principalities out of this world. And by the grace of God, he has given us one another. To sing over one another when we can't sing to ourselves. And to fight the battle, prepare our hearts to fight, engage into that spiritual oppression and battle. When we have no strength in ourselves. So we must sing. We must get together and sing. And we must sing and sing and sing as the church of Jesus Christ. Let me wrap it up. I want to share with us five practical ways we can sing. These five are not from myself. I stole it. Borrowed it. Sampled it. From someone. From a, a, set of bro- a pair of brothers who have wrote over 6,000 hymns. Their names are Charles Wesley and John Wesley. And I thought they wrote so many songs. Somewhere along the way, they probably have some wisdom in how to sing together. And here's what they said. There are five rules of singing that's given. I think it will be very practical for us to learn from them. Here's the first one. We must sing all. They instruct us we must sing all, meaning that we must make every effort to be together to sing all. And isn't it kind of funny and weird now? That I'm literally preaching to an almost completely empty sanctuary. We're telling you to sing all. And I, and I know it sounds so strange, but I want you to feel in this season. And to miss the singing that we must make an effort to intention to get together to sing. When you miss it, sometimes when you don't have something, when you have it all the time, you don't miss it. But when you don't have it, all of a sudden you realize how much you've missed it, how much you need it. And, and I know right now we cannot physically sing over one another Maybe you can get together and watch the service together and sing together. But we must make every effort to sing all together in person when, is a, when, when, the season, when this season passes us through. For some of us, that means that's a cross we must bear. Because for some of us, coming to church is hard. But let's listen to the word of Jesus. We must deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow him. So let's take up our cross and be show up and sing all together. Here's the second one. It might sound kind of interesting. Is sing lustily. Not what you think, 
in the way of lustily that way. What John Wesley said is, is that singing lustily means we're going to sing it with, 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 with a courage. That we're not so conscious about my voice and how often and how good I, I might sound or how bad I might sound. But I am blending my voice with the body of Christ. That I must sing with good courage. I must sing with actual strength and song that together with all my whole heart that I'm not holding back because I'm so conscious of how the next person would think of me. For some, that is a challenge. But the beauty of the congregational sing is not whether we're on key or not, but whether we're one or not. Which leads up to the third one, we must sing modestly. Because for some of us, we can sing, we can bellow the best of sound, we can ad-lib, we can do all sorts of amazing things. God has given us this musical gifts. But when we sing together, let's not get out, 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 outside of that unity too much. And let's build one another. Let's be one together. This speaks for, particularly for those of us who are leading worship. Let's sing modestly together. Here's a fourth one. Let's sing in time, meaning let's sing in unity, in the same rhythm and beat. Let's choose songs, worship leaders. Let's choose songs that are easy for people to catch so that we can sing together. So that we, we don't have to work out and figure out these uh, difficult rhythms. Let's sing in time together because it, unity is the key here. That we must sing in rhythm and in tune together so that we can hear one another in unison. Here's the last one. We must, we must sing spiritually. As I shared last week, the best way for us to sing horizontally is really for us to sing vertically. We must sing with our eyes fixed on the one who is worthy of our songs. The one who is in control, the one who is good, the one who is fighting our battle. The ones whose promise never fail, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, the peace of God that rule our hearts comes in the context of the church, the body of Christ. It requires us to put on Christ. It requires us to teach and admonish one another with songs, hymns and spiritual songs and, and, and hymns. And we're, we're called to do that because that is a gift that God is giving us through one another. So let's not forsake that gift. Let's not reject it. Let's receive it and participate in it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this gift of music. Not just music. We thank you for this gift of the body of Christ that we have people of different ethnicity, people from different backgrounds, people with different personalities, people with different range of vocal, uh, vocal sound, people with different talents. And yet we are one in the spirit because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. That when one fall down, another can pick him up. That when one is struggling, the other one can come alongside and sing over them, sing over the truth of Christ about over them. So Lord, we want to thank you for this gift and help us to, to steward this gift well. Oh, God, I know it's so hard right now because we just can't get together and sing. And even, even here today when we, the few of us get to uh, uh, sing together, Lord, you just reminded me how sweet that is, what a privilege, what a gift that is. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will make us crave that. 
Not because we have to hear from one another, but we get to hear from one another. Oh, Lord, I long for the day when we can gather again together, once again together as a body of Christ to sing to you. Because, Lord, you said that's what we're going to do for eternity. Thousands and millions and trillions of, 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 your, of your own. We sing, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who is to come. And so, Lord, I pray you will help us and lead us to sing well together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.